Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Indianapolis Motor Speedway hosted NASCAR for the first time and nearly a quarter century later the Brickyard 400 is one of the sport's most important events and as it becomes the regular season finale for the Monster Energy Cup Series it means even more than ever before. Welcome into NASCAR America everybody. Carol Amano, Parker Kligerman and Nate Ryan with you today. So last week gentlemen we have the Southern 500 one of the four crown jewel races in NASCAR cut to this week. The Brickyard 400, which is a huge deal. This is so unusual, Nate, to have this paired this way. Yeah, it's so unusual. It's never happened before. And I think it's created a huge sense of anticipation among NASCAR teams, Parker. But I think that it also has created maybe less preparation because normally the Brickyard falls in late July, early August. It's treated almost as a second Daytona. Now you got teams preparing for the playoffs. I don't know. It, it doesn't lose any prestige, but I don't know if there'll be as much emphasis put on the cars that go to the Brickyard. Yeah, and they simply can't. But I think, you know, sometimes fans don't realize how much these big races mean to us as racers. And I think just to that soundbite we had of Brad Keselowski this past weekend yelling, a major! We want a major! Yeah. You know, that's what these mean. And now you have two of them in a row. So imagine Brad Keselowski maybe putting himself in a chance to get two of those in a row. That would be an incredible achievement. All you have to do really is just look at who has won this race. So this is the 25th running of the Brickyard. And over the years, you take a look at these drivers, either Hall of Famers or essentially going to be Hall of Famers, two active drivers on this list, but it's an extremely impressive group. What does this tell you, Parker, about what it means to, to win the Brickyard 400 and those who've done it? Well, I think back to what Jeff Burton was saying about the Southern 500 this past weekend, once again, another major, and that is that you, when you look at the Southern 500 winners list, there's not a lot of flukes, right? It's just very few, and when you look at the Brickyard 400 winners, it's not a lot of flukes. Yes, we've had some crazy one-offs here and there, but you look at drivers like that that are certain Hall of Famer, are Hall Famers are going to be Hall of Famers. Mm -hmm. That kind of tells you this race really allows drivers and teams to rise up, and the cream is going to rise to the top at these bigger races. And I think it goes back to kind of what you were saying, Nate, which is that for years, lots of teams put a lot of emphasis on these races. Right. So you prepared for them. You you picked certain cars that you worked on, massaged, leading up to those races, and the drivers knew the importance of it, too. So they rose to the occasion as well. Yeah, it's been an excellent championship barometer. I mean, nine times in 24 Brickyard 400s, the winner of this race 
has gone on to win the championship the same year. And I think that tells you everything about how difficult <laughs> yeah. it is to win, that you have to be a team that is on its game in terms of horsepower, in terms of aerodynamics. The track, as you know, Parker, is extremely difficult to drive. It's not built for stock cars. You have to be very precise uh, through every turn at extremely high rates of speed. And that's why the best drivers and the best teams win here. Exactly. And you just brought up an important note that this track kind of exposes your weaknesses. This is one of those few tracks when we think about places like Pokemon you know, these flat, large tracks, they expose a weakness if you have a weakness horsepower-wise. They're going to expose a weakness if you have a weakness downforce-wise, handling-wise, mechanical grip-wise. All those things are going to be exposed at a track like this because it demands that you have everything at tip-top shape. You have to have a good motor to get down those long straightaways. You have to make the most grip possible because the corners are not very banked, right? This racetrack demands that you have everything to the nth degree, and that's why I think we see teams that can prepare, teams that are at the top of their game, sell at a racetrack like this. If it is a race that rewards experience, we should probably remember that there are a number of veterans who need a win right now, to your point with this being butted right up against the start of the playoffs to get into the playoffs. The funny thing is, when you look at that list, and based on what you both have said, a lot of those veterans have won this race before. Brickyard's just a special place. For me, it's the biggest race of the year. My first year in Cup, uh, driving for Chip, going to Indy was a huge deal. As a kid, you grow up watching that place, whether it's the Indy 500 or the Brickyard 400. Living there for three summers, learning how to race cars and race competitively. Casey Kane will win the Brickyard 400. Oh my gosh, who would have thought? Unbelievable. Feels great to be a winner at Indy and uh, that was a track I always wanted to win at. To compete at that yard of bricks at that two and a half mile super speedway, it's special. Indiana's own Ryan Newman is about to recognize a lifelong dream and win the Brickyard 400. As a kid being from Indiana, I get to go race stock cars there after watching Indy cars for so many years. It was just kind of a dream come true. 30 year old Paul Menard, his family with such a long racing history at Indianapolis, they'll kiss the bricks together now. get your first NASCAR Sprint Cup Series win. Lucky enough to win the race a few years ago and kiss the bricks and definitely want to do that again. I remember the year that I won there, coming off turn four, they, they start waving the checkered flag. It seems like 15 seconds before you get there. Jamie McMurray is going to win Daytona and the Brickyard 400 in the same year. Chip Ganassi saying, pinch me, is this real? That's a special place for all the drivers, but it's even more special when you drive for someone like Chip. I still go back every year with a massive amount of confidence because I was able to uh, accomplish what I did so soon in the Xfinity Series there. Ty Dillon has arrived. He will claim victory today. <laughs> I love you, boys. <laughs> puts me in a good place. Puts me in a good mindset. It's kind of a reset on, on my year. I haven't been there but once, really. Up, baby. Break Break baby. Yes. And in his first ever start at Indianapolis Motor Speedway, the 19-year-old is going to be able to kiss the bricks. It's fun to race there, fun to win there, and Hopefully we can continue that success this year. Things always are, are crazy at Indy on restarts and the way that the races end up. Tough place to win. It's one of those tracks where anything can happen. You can definitely see uh, somebody winning the race that, that you want to expect to get into the playoffs. You know, overall, this is a group with something to prove, and there's so much on the line at Indianapolis. Kyle Busch can clinch the regular season title. The final two playoff spots will be decided, those spots currently being held by Jimmy Johnson and Alex Bowman. For everybody behind them, it's only a win that can put them in the postseason. 
I think about Ryan Newman, Nathan Parker, who finished 19th at Darlington, but was actually running in sixth place before he had that incident with Clint Boyer. He and Jamie McMurray, it would seem, at this point in the season, still have some questions about what the future may hold. All of those veterans on the Cup Series side, and we saw Ty and William Byron as well, who are included in that group, um, they've got something to prove. Yeah, and Ryan Newman, as you said, Carolyn, his team has been running better. Richard Childress Racing has shown more speed on speedways such as Indianapolis Motor Speedway. They were good at Darlington. They were strong at Michigan as well. So he is a driver who has won here before. Granted, that was a different situation. Those were other teams that he ran well here with at the past. But uh, he knows how to get around here. He's an Indiana native. And as you said, Carolyn, we're not entirely sure what 2019 holds yet for Ryan Newman-Parker. And last year we saw a driver who we didn't know what held for Casey Kane this season. He ended up mm -hmm. switching teams, and he won this race in pretty unbelievable circumstances. It could happen again this year. Yeah, I'm still trying to get over that piece there because Indy means so much to me as a driver. I've, I've been to the uh, Indy 500 twice. I got to go there last year. I've used to live right next to that racetrack when I was racing USAC Midgets, and I used to go to the museum on my off days. I mean, that racetrack means so much to me. So to see all those guys talking about how much it meant to win, I don't even know what it would mean to me <laughs> to win there. But um, <laughs> and then we got that out of the way. I, I agree with you on Newman in in terms of if I were to pick a driver out of that group that I felt like had the best chance to win and maybe the only one in that group that really has a bona fide chance of winning this weekend and finding a way into the playoffs would be Ryan Newman in that 31 card. One, because of what you mentioned, the performance that we've seen now of those RCR cars as of late, and I go to that run that Austin Dillon had at Michigan just a couple right. weeks ago where he was running at second with that tire going bad right there at the end and still got a top five. And just the consistent performance running six at Darlington before their issue – that's the kind of things I want to see of a race team that's going to go to a place like the Brickyard in a position they're in, and especially with Luke Lambert knowing his, his ability to pull strategy and find a way to win that race. I think that kind of adds up. And when I look at the other drivers, I struggle to find convincing reasons why they would have that same chance. Yeah. I mean, Anything Casey in that other group? Yeah. yeah. I mean, he has not, Casey Kane has not run well enough, I think, to be defending winner of this race. And Jamie McMurray, although his teammate, Kyle Larson, has run well at Chip Ganassi Racing, this has been one of the worst seasons of Jamie McMurray's career. And he won here in 2010, but you don't really see it as, as being a breakthrough race yet. For no, him. I think, yeah, when you look at Jamie McMurray, I've, I've been perplexed by that one car throughout this season. I've talked to them at times. I know Darlington was a horrible weekend for them until they got to the race. He just has not had the performance of the 42 car. And so I want to put that on Kyle Larson. Maybe there's other reasons, but the fact is he just hasn't. And he does not have performance that I would consider it would be allowing him to go into the brickyard and say, yeah, that, they could pull off an upset win. No way. Uh, Casey Kane, absolutely not. And then I guess if you want to just look a little further into that set of drivers, Paul Menard sticks out to me because if – it, you look at the performance of the Team Penske cars, I think then that gives me confidence that that 21 car could find a way. He has won there on strategy before. Uh, I think that that race team has shown flashes of speed. I think a couple, uh, many weeks ago when they were fast, at, I think it was Chicago. So I've seen them have speed at times. And so going to a place that's so important to him and knowing that he has won there, maybe you, he can find some of that speed that they've shown at times. What about another veteran, Nate, that we didn't mention in Jimmy Johnson, who wasn't included in that list of must-win drivers, but still finds himself in a very precarious situation when you look at the playoff leaderboard and where things are right now. How do you think the 48 team is approaching this weekend? Well, I, I think it's a different situation for them, Carolyn. Obviously, they've made the playoffs every year, 14 consecutive seasons, but they've never been in this situation where they haven't clinched a spot going into the regular season finale. Basically, three things need to happen for Jimmy Johnson to miss the playoffs for the first time ever, and that's, one, a surprise winner outside the top 16 drivers right now on the playoff grid. 
to Alex Bowman, his teammate, uh, outpointing him by having a top 10 or a top 15 run. And then three, if Jimmy Johnson were to finish outside the top 25 and had a not very good result. So it would take a confluence of three things. Uh, but, you know, it's never happened before that he's missed the playoffs. So it would take something pretty incredible for it to happen. But, you know, then again, again, that team has not been in this situation before, Parker. And it's it's got to be a little bit unnerving to not have that security going in this race. I think so. And when you look how things have just turned out, I mean, you look at Darlington and, and you look at races, even when they've had performance, something went wrong. So I just don't feel like they're in a very safe position. I think as a race team, you know, they're wondering themselves when they get into the playoffs, how much of a, of a effect are they going to have in there? Right. Are they really going to be a contender to make it out of the first round, which is insane to say about the the seven-time championship team. But uh, I'm kind of optimistic about yeah. the 48. And you may find out later in the fantasy segment how optimistic I am, oh, but wow. I am optimistic. Oh, he is a four-time winner. Tease. He's got yes. that going for him. Yeah. Yeah. He does have that going for him. <laughs> you know, you think about what he's up against this weekend, but to your point, you think about the chaos that this race can bring and its potential to knock out some of these other favorites who are at the very top of the leaderboard. Coming up, we are going to look back at how wild last year's Brickyard 400 was. It was a race that ended in near darkness after a record number of cautions. Will it happen again on Sunday? Will it shake things up for some of these drivers who need a win or can really use one our analysts weigh in next nascar america is brought to you by mobile one annual protection proven protection for twenty thousand miles you know there's no more play and it's time to go if i'm kyle bush i'm contesting this spot oh kyle bush slides and does the 78 they both go up into the wall through turn one i wrecked it lock her down holy Flames underneath the hood of Mark Trex Jr.'s car. Trouble down the front stretch. Caution, turn four, big wreck. Now, crash day's coming up. He's coming up, coming up, middle, middle. Slow down, buddy. Slow down, slow down, slow down, slow down, slow down, slow down. Hard damage to the front of that car. Big impact. Green flag back in the air. Caution's going to come out. They're wrecking behind him. So we didn't even get to turn one. We're in it. Everybody knows if you push the guy in front of you, it's going to make that line go faster. And this is pushing gone wrong. And the 11 goes around. They're right behind him. Did they get to the overtime line? They haven't got there yet. Has the caution come out yet? Now the caution comes out. Arguably the wildest race of the 2017 season. Last year's Brickyard 400 set a race record for cautions. It had two and a half hours under the red flag. It ended just 10 minutes before sunset. This year, by the way, sunset is going to come even earlier thanks to the Brickyard's move to September. So that's just one extra thing to keep in mind if we have a little bit of craziness on Sunday. No lights at Indy, uh, in case you weren't aware. So I'm wondering, Nate, about the strategy at the end of Stage 2 or something to that effect if we get into a situation where right. it's getting later and later. I mean, if there's a long delay in this race for whatever reason, and then cautions can take a really long time, it can take a long time to, to clean up wrecks, uh, I think we could see teams really gambling with strategy here, Parker, because Indianapolis is much like a road course where you can pit under green, not lose a lap. You have a lot of teams right now that are trying to gamble on getting a win. And I think from lap one, you could see some real strategy plays uh, with teams doing whatever they can possibly do and maybe getting extenuating circumstances in their favor that could put them in a place to get to victory lane. No doubt we're going to see strategy plays because track position is so important, right? right? Which at is this, exciting. Yeah, yeah. And this, yeah, at this racetrack, if you could forever way steal track position, say you take a car that's running 15th and you could get to the lead, 
you might have a chance in clean air at this place. That's how incredibly hard it is to pass at times and how important strategy can be in track position. So we see teams kind of, you know, send caution to the wind. Now being obviously the cutoff before the playoffs, there's even more incentive because what do you have to lose? Nothing. Are we going to see the insanity that we saw last year? I mean, we had people wrecking before we got to the start finish line on that one restart, which I was there and I was like, are we kidding? How is this even happening? <laughs> so that was insane to me. I don't know if we get that level in Sandy, but there is something being discussed amongst, I know, many of the teams and talking to them right now, and that is looking ahead at the weather situation, which it's looking a little frightful, especially on Saturday, which is when we'd have our practice and qualifying. So we have a playoff cutoff race. We potentially are looking at maybe a little, maybe no practice, maybe no qualifying, practice. and goes directly into the race on Sunday. With none of that, and knowing it's a playoff cutoff race, knowing that you're not going to know what the tire wear situation, that sort of thing is, it's going to be, I think, lining up to be one of the craziest races we've ever seen. Why is knowing those things so critical at this place specifically? Well, and I think a lot of any track that we see limited practice, or sometimes we've seen it in some of the other series, no practice, it just does not allow us to fine-tune the race cars, right? So we, we use our best guess. Yes, we have some of the best simulation tools uh, within the race teams and that sort of thing, but it's still your best guess until that race car gets actually on the asphalt and takes laps. So sometimes, in this situation, your first laps on the track would be in the race. Right. So that would be something that I think many crew chiefs would be losing sleep over, thinking, did I make the right decision? Did I put the right thing in here? Is our camber settings right? All those things uh, would make it a very sleepless night for some teams. Nate, I can't help but think about how wild it was last year and the fact that we're right up against the start of the playoffs here. And Parker mentioned the messy quotient. I just wonder how desperate these teams are going to get with the playoffs specifically in mind here. Yeah, I mean, I think, again, from lap one, I think you're going to see teams attempt some crazy strategies and attempt to find ways to try to get to the front. And I think you could see desperation moves like these. I mean, Indianapolis is not typically known for having a lot of side-by-side -side action, but if you get into a situation like last year where it was that Kyle Busch, Martin Truex Jr. wreck for the lead with about 50 to go that started, that triggered this just restart after restart after restart. When you bunch cars like uh, these up in a track that seems narrower than it should be, it, it can lead to these big wrecks, and that just leads to many cautions. And Parker. that's Martin Truex Jr. and Kyle Busch, Parker. I mean, we're yeah. not talking about the back half of the field. That was a major catalyst. And the reason you see that and why we saw all that we saw there is because when you are given the opportunity at a restart, at a track like this, where track position is so important, where it is so hard to pass, you are going to take risks you would take nowhere else because if you can get a position or two, that might be a net gain coming in the race. It might be a massive net gain to come in the race. So you go as hard as you can into turns one, into turns two, and down that backstretch, doing every bit of drafting you can do, trying to make up positions because you might be the only chance you get. Yeah, okay, so here's what we have in store for you over the next few days. Let's look at the schedule real quick. So our coverage from Indianapolis begins tomorrow with a special event. USAC Midget Racing on the dirt track at Indianapolis Motor Speedway, which would be great. And then it's back to the asphalt Saturday, Xfinity Series Sunday, the Cup Series playoff field, of course, set in the Brickyard 400. Parker, Nate, and I will see you afterwards for Victory Lap, we hope. And then a brand new edition of Racing Roots featuring Ryan Blaney. Here's a sneak peek of that. The winner of Pocono, Ryan Blaney. Oh, yeah, Blaney, you are the fans. Please tell me this is your Bronco. It is. Dude, this thing is so cherry. Oh my gosh, this is my old house. So there's a little dirt track back there. Did yeah. your dad build that little dirt track? Yeah. Thing? Dave used to always tell Ryan, you have about a 1% chance of making it. I'm still kind of shocked by the whole thing. Are these your old quarter midgets? I haven't stood on this racetrack in a while. Carson, what was it like racing against Ryan? Oh, he beat me. 
every time. <laughs> we said, someday, he will arrive. Do you know what NASCAR is? Everybody knows what NASCAR racing is? Yeah, I drive in circles for a little. My grandfather's racing, dad's racing. I don't deserve to be in here. You have more accolades to accomplish before you really make the wall? Exactly. Okay. So here it is, D. Sharon Speedway. You still got the keys to the Mustang? How sideways can we get? memorable play from Super Bowl 52 that bold call on fourth down with Super Bowl MVP Nick Foles catching the touchdown pass the Eagles went on of course their first Super Bowl win and tonight they get to unfurl the banner the NFL opener Sean Mendez getting the party started with a live performance in Philly and then Nick Foles and the champs taking on Matt Ryan and the Falcons in this NFL kickoff it's tonight at 730 Eastern on NBC. He just needs to do seven turns perfectly at Watkins Glen to grab his first career win. He goes wide. The turn one, the 78 coming up. Closing the game. All clear, all clear. Fans jumping up and down, yelling, screaming, losing their minds here at Watkins Glen. Can Elliott hang on? He's back to two car lengths in front of Truex as they leave the S's for the final time. Almost giving up the lead in turn one, but he's now got another comfortable into the interloop. Martrex charges hard, trying to gain that ground back. No mistakes by either driver here, but Chase Elliott, a cleaner corner. Now it's about four curlings there through the carousel. Chase Elliott almost home free. Truex wide in the corner. He looks to be in great shape, but the mistake that he made in one again cannot be replicated here in turn six. Truex is out of fuel. Truex is out. Now Chase can just cruise the victory lane. His spotter lets him know. He's out of fuel. Chase Elliott comes out of turn number seven. The crowd roars. They're going to see for the first time Chase Elliott win in the Monster Energy Cup Series. That was how our announced team called the final lap of Watkins Glen Chase Elliott's first ever cup win. Of course, one of my favorite memories from that weekend was when Dale Earnhardt Jr. tweeted in the middle of the coverage, I know I'm yelling, I can't help it. <laughs> it's radio style. It's announcers positioned all around the track. We're going to use it this weekend at the Brickyard. Take a look at what we're doing. So we've got Mike Bagley. Uh, of course, the series uh, on MRN, he's the voice there. Turn two, Dale Earnhardt Jr., turn three. We've got Jeff Burton and Rick Allen and Steve Latar in the mix as well. Uh, here's Jeff, and then we've got um, Steve and Rick. And, Parker, I know that you'll in turn three in the Xfinity race, so you're going to hopefully get some reps for these guys. Yeah, I'm going to be actually where Dale Earnhardt Jr. is in the cup race, so turn three, and I'm actually considered the uh, development broadcaster for Dale Jr. now. <laughs> uh, so I'm pretty excited about my new role. What yeah. do they call it? About an exchange like a development of, uh, driver? Yeah. So I'm a development That's right. Like an exchange yeah. of information um, is going to essentially be yeah, what's well, going Yeah, well, I let him know there. that, you know, he can basically, what's mine is his. Yeah. So anything I so find that's good, alliance. he can take. There's an alliance. We got it. Yeah. Um, we have to talk about last year's Xfinity race, by the way, at Indy we while we're on the topic. I mean, very positive reaction to the restrictor play package that was used there. Everybody was calling for it. Let's just take a quick look back at that. The white flag in the air. Bernard looking to the inside, then the outside. Byron blocking both times before the 
Bennett out there in the middle of Indianapolis Motor Speedway on the front stretch all by himself. That was that was a cool moment for me to watch. Saturday's race in Indianapolis was one of the best that we have ever seen in the Xfinity Series. It was exciting, it was a good time, and the fans enjoyed it. And that's what we have to have when we go back to Indianapolis. It was incredible, and it's a package that's similar to the one that the Cup driver saw in the All-Star race in Charlotte earlier this year. Parker, can you just explain a little bit more um, of the specific technical aspects that make that package what it is? Sure. So we'll just start at the front of the car. So it starts with the splitter. We actually enlarged the splitter. Actually, we've got a great animation here. So you're going to see this splitter is going to get larger here, basically. That is producing more front downforce. Then the key part is behind that. Right, right, right there, we normally have brake ducts. We have what are called drag ducts, and what they're doing is they're forcing the air out to the side to put more drag and punch a larger hole in the air out of these race cars so that the cars behind it can maybe get a bigger run. That's the whole intention here is to create drafting at this racetrack and allow drivers to find ways to make passes down those long straightaways at Indianapolis. And then another part of this is here at the rear spoiler in the back. So now we have the low downforce one that we normally see race to race. But what's going to pop up here? A larger one of those dog ears. So it produces more downforce. It puts a bigger hole in the air, producing more drag. And all this combined, one thing it allows the drivers by themselves to mostly go around the track flat out, but then two, have the chance to race each other closer and get those runs that I talked about. So I guess the question is, Nate, and I hate to put it to you, why, yeah. why is the Cup Series not using this at Indy? It's a really good question, Carolyn. I think it was asked last year a lot when you had this uh, Xfinity race that had an extraordinary number of green flag passes, 66% rise, 1,500 green flag passes, uh, a huge spike in green flag passes for the lead as well. I think there was an expectation then that this package would be put in place for the Cup Series this year for this race. As you said, Carolyn, it was used at Charlotte Motor Speedway and the All-Star Race. Uh, drew very positive reviews there, but there was pushback from teams and the engine builders. Very difficult to get this package ready for some of these tracks because of the changes uh, with the horsepower and everything like that with the plate. So I think you're obviously not going to see it this weekend for the Cup Series, but... It sounds as if, Parker, it's definitely on the drawing board for next year. Potentially more than a dozen races they're talking about using this package at. And I think Indianapolis would be very much at the top of the list next year for this package. Definitely. I think, well said. You know, I think, yes, there was uh, a great feedback from the fans that some some drivers maybe enjoyed it. Maybe some of the ones that maybe find themselves running more mid-pack, trying to beat some of the faster cars that we had in the Cup Series side. But on the Xfinity Series side, we proved that it can be done. It does provide great racing at this racetrack. So, as you said, I kind of expected in the discussions for next year and then the reason we didn't see it this year I think you said it well but also remember these team owners in NASCAR have been trying really hard to keep costs down to cut costs that sort of thing and so what many of the cup owners looked at adding a whole new package mid-season was going to force them to have to build separate cars different engine packages all those things which just didn't parlay into really being an advantage this season so we look at hopefully having it next season and I think we'll get clarity on it probably at the end of this month yeah. uh, the, the rules package proposed rules package went out at the of August to teams uh, for 2019. I think we'll probably hear in a few weeks what it'll look like. For I wonder to your point at the beginning of the show with this race being in September, right at the start of the playoffs, or essentially the last step before that, does that complicate things for teams, keeping costs down, having a bunch of things on their minds, specifically these elite cup teams maybe who are trying to dial everything in for the playoffs? It seems like at this right. point in time, at least for this year, maybe is it one extra thing? I don't know. I think that's how it was looked upon. It was, it was a whole another thing to add into the season, late into the season 
season when teams had already decided they were, you know, had cars built, cars, thick engine packages already set up, engines built, that sort of thing, leading into the playoffs. It was just a distraction and an extra set of costs that a lot of teams couldn't justify. And so they obviously put it aside until next year. Yeah, I think if they had committed to it before the 2018 season had begun, then yeah. it would have been much more They're doable. Down. But yeah. just it wasn't conducive Not to the Not this time schedule. around. All right, we'll pay attention and see what happens in the future. We're still looking forward to the weekend. There are so many traditions at Indianapolis Motor Speedway. That includes the victory celebrations, which are the best, from climbing up to puckering up to drinking milk. All of it is so good. Legendary moments. And we'll talk about a few of them next on NASCAR America. The drive for the playoffs ends in the racing capital of the world, so make sure that you are right here with us for the Monster Energy Cup Series regular season finale at Indianapolis Motor Speedway on Sunday. The time is 2 Eastern, and the place is right here on NBCSN. There isn't a celebration like what you have when you win at the Brickyard. There's no better feeling than winning at the Brickyard. You know, you look at that, you hear from Tony Stewart, who, of course, loves that place more than maybe anybody on the planet. And it's the celebrations that really make Indy so unique, or at least just kind of adds to the lore when you walk around that place. And so many celebrations come to mind. It's just, it makes it special. Yeah, and Tony Stewart's is the first one that comes to mind for me. It was climbing the fence after mm -hmm. his first win there in 2005. Of course, that being his life's dream was to win at that place, Parker, and yeah, uh, that was just really what drove it home for me about how much this place meant to him uh, when he when he climbed that fence and really soaked in the atmosphere from that hometown crowd. But they don't show you there, and maybe it was the the later one, no seven, I believe, where he lays down on the wall yeah. afterwards <laughs> to do the interview because he's he's kind of out of breath. Yeah. <laughs> he gained a few pounds a couple of years later. It's so yeah. hot there, but uh, you know this racetrack to me, as I said earlier in the show, it's just such an important racetrack. If not, a lot of ways, the most important racetrack in America for so many reasons and uh, I've lived near it I've been to the museum a million times I've been to the Indy 500 twice I've raced at it uh, one of the coolest moments of my whole career was in Xfinity qualifying 2013 knowing they said I had a new track record for a little bit until I ended up finishing fourth or fifth in that qualifying session but it's just a place that has so much mystique and then you add in these traditions like kissing the bricks or getting milk in the Indy 500 and it just adds to the lore of it all and, and I, you know as a so in other sports, you know, the context I put in is the Masters, how they hand out the jacket and that sort of thing. Yeah. I mean, to me, that's what this means, and that's what Indy means. And so for stock cars to be there and have our own tradition of kissing the bricks compared to Indy 500 drinking the milk, I think that almost cements stock cars as being at home at the Indy, at Indianapolis Motor Speedway when at the beginning it wasn't so much that, that thought process. Yeah, I agree with that, Nate. And I think that these celebrations have been intertwined over the years as well somewhat, right? right? I mean, you think about the milk, you think about kissing the bricks, but even if you're a stock car fan, don't you get a kick out of thinking about the milk and offenses and how everybody's kind of pulled something from somebody else across all the different yeah i mean i think that like there was a lot of resistance initially when nascar went to the brickyard that's been well documented tony stewart actually has talked about that he, he initially admits that he was sort of against it and i think <laughs> that the fact that you've had that cross-pollination of victory celebrations that you had the kissing of the bricks that started with dale jarrett's team in 1996 just a few years after nascar had gone to the brickyard that being adopted by the Indy 500 winner, I think was almost like an olive branch of sorts that showed that 
hey, maybe stock cars weren't meant to be here initially, but you've yeah. cemented your place now here with almost a quarter, cent uh, quarter century of history. Yeah, no doubt. And it's just, I, I, I mean, as I said earlier, I couldn't imagine winning at Indy. Anything. I don't care if it was a foot race. If I won a foot race at Indy, I'd be freaking out. So <laughs> it's just such an important racetrack for motorsports in America. It's such an important racetrack in the world in so many respects. And it just has, it's had so many incredible legends. When you go to that museum, I implore anyone who's going to Indianapolis Motor Speedway, step through that museum and just walk through it and look at the names and the cars and things that have been there and the history that's been made. It's absolutely incredible. I was just going to say, um, you guys better get the museum open or at least make sure it's <laughs> yeah. open because I love maybe, how, maybe, yeah, I love how excited you're getting about it. I feel like you just want to go back there again. I mean, I you're such a there. student of the sport yeah. and this track has just made such an impact on so many drivers from the very top to the bottom, young kids in the stands. It's just, it's one of those places that's just so special. Yeah, and that museum is the first thing you see when you drive into the infield yeah. and when I went there for the first time, I knew that was where I had to be yeah. right away, and you're right. Like, it's an unbelievable experience. And Everybody you know what? They're, they're, and the cool thing about Indy is they're not afraid to kind of innovate in a lot of ways and think about the USAC midget race they have last night and tonight yeah. going on. Like They built a dirt track in there, and now there's a dirt USAC midget race inside Indianapolis Motor Speedway because they that – and there were so many fans there last night. I was watching it, and it's just a, such a cool thing to see them kind of not be afraid to mix it up and look into the future a little bit. It's a really, a really great place to be. Um, as we head towards Indy, which is rapidly approaching, and also the playoffs, we have decided to see where NASCAR's top drivers and teams and crew chiefs are stacking up. Coming up next, see who's sitting at the top of our first ever NASCAR America Power Rankings. We're going to reveal them when we come back. Stay with us. Welcome back, everybody. As Parker mentioned, history being made once again at Indianapolis Motor Speedway with its first dirt track race, the BC39 for the USAC National Mission Series. A USAC record 118 entries are taking part in the two-day event, which is taking place on the quarter-mile track built inside turn three of the Brickyard. And in addition to qualifying heat races, last night featured a pursuit race where competitors were eliminated every four laps. And Indiana racer Zeb Wise won the pursuit driving the 39 BC car, delivering a special tribute as well to his mentor, the late sprint car star Brian Clausen. Wise was first spotted by Brian and his father Tim as his future talent when he was 11. NBCSN's Robin Miller caught up with Wise after the race. Seb Wise became the youngest winner ever in USAC a few weeks ago at the age of 15. And tonight here in the debut at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway's Dirt Track, he put on a hell of a show. 18th the first to win this wonderful Stoops event and $3,200, brother, which is going to go to your college fund. Oh, yeah, for sure. Uh, I can't thank everyone at Indianapolis Motor Speedway. Um, they put together a heck of a track, and obviously it shows, you know, we get a good track we can put on the show for them. So uh, to park it, especially being 39 BC, to park it in BC 39 Victory Lane is pretty dang cool. Our thanks to Robin for that. Come on, that's so great. Awesome. That's just so great awesome stuff. Story. Yeah. Um, you can catch the BC39 Friday night at 6 Eastern right here on NBCSN if you're interested. Right now, though, we are excited to debut the NASCAR America Power Rankings, which we will have throughout this year's Monster Energy Cup Series playoffs. Nate posted these to NBCSports.com a little earlier today. A lot of different teams, sports, everything had these power rankings. But let's pull up these overall rankings, Nate, to just begin to kind of explain how these are different from the ones that we've seen in other traditional sports. Sure, Carolyn. Well, th these are based on three main categories, driver, crew chief, 
and team. And in each of those categories, we've asked a panel of uh, several members of the NASCAR industry, both media, drivers, crew chiefs, manufacturer reps, to grade each of them on several different criteria. With drivers, it's like restarts and the tracks they race at, crew chiefs, it's how they do chassis or how they lead their teams. And then the team element is how they do on pit stops and support crews. So a lot of different data that's being aggregated into this, the overall rankings, which shows that Kyle Busch is at the top of the heap. Yeah, which makes a lot of sense. Kevin Harvick right behind him. And so now that we have the overall rankings kind of under our belt, I want to look at the driver-specific rankings. When you pull this up, it's probably pretty obvious who are going to be filling the top three spots. I think that makes a lot of sense. That's look, a surprise. Yeah, not exactly <laughs> uh, breaking news there. But when you go down a little bit further, walk us through what's going on here between Chase Elliott and Denny Hamlin and how all those other factors that you just mentioned played into the decision on where to place them. Right. So what's interesting here, Carolyn, is Chase Elliott actually ranks ahead of Denny Hamlin in the driver rankings, which again is 11 categories that were surveyed here on a one to 10 basis. But in the overall rankings, we saw Denny Hamlin ranked ahead of Chase Elliott. And that's because the team ranking put him ahead. Uh, Essentially, the panelists on this survey decided that Denny Hamlin had better pit stops, had better support staff, and that's what put him ahead of Chase Elliott, for his team overall in the rankings, even though driver rank and crew chief rank, Chase Elliott was a little bit ahead of Denny Hamlin. I know uh, one driver crew chief overall ranking combination that stood out to me when we started to look at some of these was Jimmy Johnson, Chad Knauss, and the 48 team. Did that stand out to you at all? Well, it did because of where you have Jimmy Johnson there in the in the driver rankings. He was actually 10th, I believe, right? Right, it, And when you go to the crew chief rankings, you have Chad Knauss, who's 5th. So what that tells me is the industry as a whole that you surveyed here feels like a lot of the success or whatever success they've had this year, or maybe they're thinking more historical success of their seven championships, lies more on Chad Knauss than it does the driver Jimmy Johnson, which I find kind of perplexing because I think at times this year I've seen Jimmy take race cars that were not great race cars and find ways to get them in the top ten or excel beyond the performance of what I felt like that race car should be running. So I would have had rated Jimmy Johnson higher as a driver, maybe a lot closer to where Chad Knauss is as a crew so I found that very fascinating that those two had such a big discrepancy. But it's still, Parker, a team that's 15th uh, on the playoff grid right yes. now So and ha- doesn't have a win in 2018. So the fact that I think they were rated so highly tells you that the intangibles of being seven-time champions and the leadership that Chad Knauss has shown uh, in being the, you know, the, the dean of that team since yep. 2002 I think really shows you that People are putting stock in that experience that you mentioned with this I, If there was any other crew chiefs or drivers on that panel, it just tells me they're scared of what Chad Knauss <laughs> can come up with, right? Because hey, they're, he's an intimidating presence. He's so intimidating. Yeah. And they're thinking, ooh, you can't, tr- you can't knock those guys out. Right. Yeah. They might come up. You know, that's seven-time champions right there. We're not going to just put them aside at the back because they're 15th in points right now. Right. And just lastly, before we wrap things up, because I've got all the different rankings here in front of me, Larson versus Boyer. What's the thinking there behind how you stacked those two? Right. That was interesting, Carolyn, because Larson doesn't have a win this year, but he ranked fairly high on both overall and in driver rankings. He was fifth. I mean, in terms of pure talent, the only driver that ranked ahead of Kyle Larson was Kyle Busch. So <laughs> you had a winless driver who is in the top ten. Then you had Clint Boyer, who has two wins this season, Parker, actually ranking behind all drivers with one win his team did, aside from Austin Dillon's team. So some interesting disparities there. So what it tells me is, first of all, if 
Do you want to be one of the most talented drivers in NASCAR? Be the name Kyle, right? <laughs> so that's what you need. Uh, I am not surprised that he was considered in the top two in talent because I think there's plenty of us within the sport that watch him and at times watch him take cars that have no business running in the top five or running in the top ten and be fighting for a win at times. Very similar to Kyle Busch. But what is fascinating there is where Clint Boyer is rated so far back. Because to me, Clint is a driver that in so many respects I would say is a very talent-driven driver. He's one of the more talented drivers out there because when you look at drivers that are very serious or very analytical, you think, okay, they must work at it. They must. There's tons of effort and things that they go into that. But I look at Clint Boyer, not because of his personality or anything, but just knowing how he goes about racing and such, it's a very see-the-pants. It's very much a talent-based form of how he goes about his racing. So I think in so many respects I would have rated him higher in that respect, because I think he does so much just simply on talent alone. I think he also got penalized a little bit, Parker, in having a crew chief in Mike Bugaravich, who's in his third season, doesn't have as much experience as all the other crew chiefs, I think, that ranked ahead of him. Yep. He might have gotten penalized a little bit by by that in terms of the overall rank. So <laughs> in experience, it's a, it's a demerit in a lot of ways. Right. Yeah, well, <laughs> I mean, much. the good news is there are things you can do to change the power rankings. You can yes. win, you can start to perform, <laughs> you can start to do all better. those things. But you can use the power rankings moving forward on NBCSports.com to help you fill out your fantasy lineups if you're in to that kind of thing, which we have to be. Are. Yes, uh, NASCAR <laughs> Fantasy Live heading to Indianapolis. Uh, so when we come back, one of these guys has a fantasy pick that may be just a little bit out on a limb. Find out who it is next on NASCAR America. NASCAR America is brought to you by Mobile One Annual Protection, proven protection for 20,000 miles. The Verizon IndyCar Series is here on NBCSN as the sun sets on a very memorable season. Can Scott Dixon hold off American Alexander Rossi and capture his fifth championship? That is the question. The Grand Prix of Sonoma is Sunday, September 16th on NBCSN. Earlier today, an update was released on IndyCar driver Robert Wickens, who sustained multiple injuries in a crash last month at Pocono. He underwent surgeries this week in Indianapolis to repair fractures to both of his legs and hands. He's expected to be transferred to a rehab facility in the coming days to begin recovery. The severity of his spinal cord injury remains to be determined with physicians stressing it could take weeks or months for the full effects of the injuries to be known. And we continue to send our very best wishes to Robert and also to his family. That's tough news to get today. Um, meantime, we will turn our attention back to NASCAR. If you are part of our NASCAR Fantasy Live team, get ready to see a few new twists for the playoffs. And that includes a chance to earn added bonus points if you correctly pick the Monster Energy NASCAR Cup Series champion before the start of the playoffs. So for more on that, you can go to NASCAR.com slash fantasy for all of the details. So right now, here's how things are shaping up among the broadcasters in our current NASCAR American Fantasy League. We've got Marty Snyder poised to claim wow. the bragging rights. That is rough. As for Parker and Nate, they're looking for momentum <laughs> entering the playoffs. Uh, what do you guys got? Who wants to start? Who are you guys picking for Indy? Well, yeah, Nate. Nate, all right, go. Okay, well. I got mine in front of me because I was just making changes. <laughs> I'm kind of following the chalk and, and going with the big three. Uh, first of all, I'm going Martin Truex Jr. and Kyle Busch and Kevin Harvick. Uh, Kyle Larson, I think, going to come off Darlington with that momentum. He looks good. Same with Chase Elliott. Brad Keselowski, of course, just won the Southern 500. But I've got Kevin Harvick to win. Uh, I was debating between him or Kyle Busch, who won the most recent race at Pocono. 
and which is always a barometer for Indy. And then Martin Truex Jr. won at Pocono in June. But I just I feel like Harvick had the fastest car in the most recent race at Pocono. And I don't know if I can pick Truex again this year with this week's development about yeah. the team closing. So until Martin Truex Jr. shows, I feel like that that team can write everything going on in Denver uh, and and come out of it unscathed and, and prove they can be a winner again. I think it's going to be hard to pick the French Real Racing team. You are starting to take a little bit of risk here, Parker. Is that right? Oh, yes. So we, we think very similarly for most of the lineup here. So I have Kyle Busch. I've got Martin Truex Jr. because, uh, hey, it's the big three, and I believe that that team will continue their performance, at least in the short term, that they've, we've seen out of them in recent weeks, and they looked fine at Darlington. Uh, Kevin Harvick, of course. And then I got Brad Keselowski because momentum, right? We gotta, you got to go with that guy. He just won a major. But the guy next to him, Jimmy Johnson of 48, that's yeah. because I'm just optimistic, and I feel like even with just a hint of pressure on that race team, himself and Chad Knauss, is this when they excel? Love this. And then Chase Elliott, obviously, in the garage, and then I have a very similar situation down below. And then Toyota as a hedge in my bet. Yeah, I would, always hedge I went chalk. Yeah, I went chalk big three. I didn't think about Penske. I probably should have thought about that. I might have to make a couple different tweaks, but I actually don't think Martin Truex Jr. is going to fall off in performance despite this recent news. I believe in him and in Cole Pern, and I think that they could still potentially have some results. I don't know. I'm just saying that. I know they've been frustrated over the last couple of weeks, but I put him in. Um, what do you think, Parker? Do you expect dramatic fall-off from this team? In case you're wondering what we're talking about and you haven't heard, um, Furniture Row Racing, the team that won the championship, of course, that Martin Truex Jr. and Cole Pern belonged to, decided um, that they needed to fold after this season. So devastating news for the organization this week. So the short answer here is no. I do not expect it immediately, and I don't expect it for the first couple of weeks. But if if there is cracks in the armor, if for every reason this team finds a way to fall out of the playoffs in terms of getting knocked out of a round, which I find hard to believe would happen, then I start to see, yes, performance fall off. I start to see as we get later in the year, if key members of the team are not joining them at the next place that they go, then those team members will be cherry-picked by other race teams and will have no choice other than to leave midway through the 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 playoffs. So I think right now I don't see an issue these next couple weeks, but in the future, yes. I think that's the key, personnel losses. If, if yeah. people start leaving the team, then I think it gets really difficult. We've certainly seen frustration coming through the cracks over the last couple weeks. They knew before we did that that news was breaking, and now that we all know that it's here, we've seen a little bit of frustration, so maybe it will boil over, maybe it won't. We're yeah. not even leading the Fantasy League standing, so if you really want to talk to somebody, <laughs> go talk to Marty Snyder, Apparently. most likely. That's all for NASCAR America. Don't forget, the NFL season begins tonight. Falcons and Eagles on NBC, 7.30 Eastern. We're back tomorrow, 5 o'clock Eastern for another full hour. So we'll see you on Friday. Thanks for watching. Same time, same place tomorrow. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939.